0: Welcome to the Fintech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus. I've been doing these shows since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of Fintech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, Pitch It, the Fintech Startups Podcast with Todd Anderson, and Fintech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro. Or you can listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the Fintech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the many opportunities you have to reach the Fintech Nexus Fintech community outside of our main events. We do regular sponsored webinars on a variety of topics, we also produce in depth white papers. We have advertising opportunities within our newsletters, website, and podcasts. We also do sponsored blog posts, dedicated emails, and much more. If you want to reach a senior fintech audience, then please contact sales at fintechnexus.com today. We have a special treat for you on today's show. I am delighted to welcome Nigel Morris, the co-founder and managing partner at QED Investors, and Rishi Varma, the managing director and senior partner at Boston Consulting Group. And The reason I have these two gentlemen on today is that QED and BCG came together to produce what I think is one of the most important reports uh, in fintech that we have seen in a long time basically it's going it's taking where we are today in fintech and extrapolating out where we're going to be by 2030 and this is it, there's actually a lot of optimism with this report and let's face it fintech um, in general for the last 12 to you know 12 to 16 months has been pretty negative there's been a lot of negative talk there's been real there's been layoffs there's been companies going out of business what this report does is sort of tell us shows us where we are today but then shows us where the trajectory we're on, where we're going to get to, and talking about like six x the size globally that fintech is today by 2030, and we break that down. We break it down by region. We break it down by vertical, and um, we talk about the, the you know what is going to help us get there, the challenges that we're going to have to overcome to get there. You know, we talk about um, the, you know, the profitability of this industry and how we're going to become more profitable. Uh, we obviously talk about valuations, but this is a, this is a report that was really grounded in, you know, rigorous, rigorous analysis. And that, that'll come through as you're listening to the show. I uh, hope you uh, enjoy the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Nigel and Richie. Hello,
1: sir. Right. Hey, Peter. Thanks for
0: having us. Of course, of course. So let's uh, let's kick it off with uh, some introductions and a, and a little background. I mean, Nigel, most people, most listeners will know who you are, but I still think we should give you, give a formal introduction, a little bit about yourself and QED.
2: Uh, yeah. So, uh, Pisa, thanks for having us on. Uh, great to uh, be, uh, teaming up here with Rishi from the Boston Consulting Group. Uh, very excited about this conversation. Uh, me, um, I'm a managing partner and co-founder at uh, QED Investors. Uh, we are a global fintech investor. Um, 200 companies over 15 years, 4 billion under management, uh, 28 unicorns, uh, really, uh, it's very focused on this space from seed all the way uh, to later stage. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was uh, president and COO of Capital One for 10 years, I co-founded it with Rich Fairbank, and before that, uh, like Rishi, spent some time as a strategy consultant. So really happy to be here.
0: Okay. Thanks, Nigel and Rishi. I, mean, I think most people know Boston Consulting Group, but tell us a little about yourself and, and what you do there.
1: Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, you know, I'm a managing director and senior partner at BCG, the Boston Consulting Group, you know, based out of the US, of course. Um, You know, I grew up as a software engineer, so my heart is more on the tech side of the fintech. While I love the overall aspect of, you know, what fintech is bringing to market, but the disruptions at the core of it is, you know, from a tech perspective. And, you know, that's where I find my passions lie more so than anything else. Of course, you know, working closely with my, our colleagues that focus in the financial services industry in particular. You know, this is the combination of, you know, the FI practice within BCG and the tech practice coming together and really taking a point of view on an industry that we are so excited about the future of and you know, the the level of disruption that's possible and we believe is going to happen, you know, in the next decades to come, you know, makes us really excited about it. And me personally, you know i feel that you know being part of this part of this uh, evolution or revolution if you will uh gives me a lot of energy and you know hence when the opportunity presented you know i i jumped on it and so really excited to be here today
0: all right well excited to have this conversation cuz i yeah this is all obviously this is we're coming together because of the report that uh, came out earlier this month we're recording this in late May and uh you know it's titled Reimagining the Future of Finance and it's it was it was really just an amazing report and we're going to dig into it deeply over the next uh, half hour or so but before we do I just want to just hear about the genesis of of this report where how did it come together why did you decide to do it
2: um, yeah, I mean, Let me kick off on that, and then uh, Rishi can engage on it. Look, we, uh, um, we were going through the process of uh, a lot of really uh, in-depth conversations with our uh, investors at QED. And we uh, found them uh, asking a, a very trenchant question, which was, look, where are we in this revolution or evolution? Uh, are we at uh, the early stages, Chapter 2? Uh, or are we in the later stages, the low-hanging fruit has already been taken down, established, and uh, the incumbents uh, uh, have uh, will, will now dominate chapter eight. And, you know, we, they were asking that question why, because they, I think, were seeing the long arc of digitalization, taking away friction, some of the benef- the benefits and the powers that um, young startups bring to the table to break through, but they were also seeing, you know, just the uh, 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 pessimism, shall we say, and um, uh, adjustments in values, public and private, across tech, for sure, and, and particularly in fintech, and therefore we're asking the question, where are we? and uh i thought it was just an amazing question and uh uh, we reached out to uh bcg and said look can you help us think this through i mean your analytical firepower your perspective on worldwide uh financial services is uh uh, uncontested and look let's partner up here we have a unique insight into what's happening at the kind of molecular level uh with small entities and where the breakthroughs are coming from and BCG has this enormous big picture. So uh we we started chatting um uh, Deepak and Rishi and uh, uh Steve Frogmorton at BCG and uh, it came together really quickly and we said okay let's take a run at this. And in a uh, what was marvelous was in a really relatively short period of time uh, we really started to get our arms around uh, that uh, chapter 2 versus chapter 8. So mm-hmm. um I, I think it, and I I really believe that the, this um this report is actually dripping with optimism and dripping with a long-term perspective, which is sadly uh, not out there uh, in the media as much as it should be. Because the, the the longer-term trends are, in my in our view and in the report's view, inexorable. And right. we're going to see enormous growth in fintech over these next uh, seven or eight years to 2030, one. Um, and two, uh, uh, we quantified a number of things in this report that I think many of us knew intuitively, but we didn't really uh, ever get our arms around the specific numbers. And when you start to stare at those numbers, and I'm sure we'll get into them, uh, you really go, "My golly, the opportunities are massive."
0: Right, right. So, so Richie, when 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 was this, and how did sort of BCG kind of, you know, how did you kind of decide to get involved?
1: Yeah, Peter. And so, you know, we, as you know, you know, always are looking to find. You know, innovative perspectives on the industry, and in particular the financial services industry. Um, you know, and where the buck is moving. You know, we have a wealth report, we have a payments report, and many other things. And we just felt there was a massive vacuum from our perspective in in a dialogue around the future of fintech and just you know the the power of disruption that we were seeing in the market relative to how fintechs were you know disrupting the market, the rise of Web three and crypto, and many other elements in there. Um, you know, neobanks and payments players and lending uh, players, et cetera. Just, you know, a real fascination for how this market was evolving. And we thought, you know, we need to take a perspective. And, you know, as we were starting to construct that perspective, you know, it was really, really up. Amazing timing that, you know, when Nigel and team also reached out and we had that connection, we said, oh, my God, this will be just the most amazing thing to bring both perspectives together to really drive an objective point of view on the market. And, you know, and what we did that, not just, you know, of course, QED as a co-author and a co-collaborator here, but we we wanted to be objective. We, we spoke to a number of different VCs. We spoke to n- many incumbents. We spoke to, you know, a number of CEOs of leading fintech companies could to get different perspectives just globally too, right? Not just a North America point of view, but, you know, many of them across different geos to say, all right, you know, what is an objective, quantitative view of the market? And especially forward-looking, that was one thing that we quickly identified as we looked at all the different reports and perspectives that were there in the market. A lot of it was, you know, talking about analysis done on a kind of look back basis trying to explain where we are now versus where we think the puck is going and you know what is it that we are going to see the overall arc of this industry as michael uh suggested earlier is going again while we don't have a perfect crystal ball but i think we've taken a pretty you know quantitative fact-based view to where we think this you know what the art of the possible can be
0: right right so it sounds like there was a quantitative session um Piece of it and a qualitative piece with the with with the interviews, but I want to uh, before we get into the guts. of it, I want to I want to just sort of lay the put the lay of the land out there because I you know, as one thing that I'd never seen before was the the size of the financial services industry and the size and where fintech stands within that and um, globally. So maybe we could um, start there and um, just talk about um, maybe, Nigel, you can give your 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 um, perspective here on what um how big are we talking about
2: you know we so let's let, let's start with some uh just some basic um sort of building blocks of the, the edifice of uh, financial services you know in many countries um you know we see financial services and we're here we're defining banking and insurance mm-hmm. as 20 sometimes 25 percent of gdp Enormous, And if you compare the size of financial services with other major industries and verticals, it's often the biggest uh, or next to the biggest in, across any geography. Uh, two, um, the study uh, points to the fact that revenue across global financial services, again, banking and insurance, is 12.5 trillion dollars. Yes, yes, with a T, not a B, a T. And this is just an incomprehensibly large number. And the profitability from that 12.5, uh, uh, trillion dollars is 2.3 trillion dollars. And to, a way of putting that into context is I, I went back and looked at how big the 2.3 trillion dollars, the profitability is vis-a-vis, uh, the size of various countries. And it's bigger than the GDP of Italy. Mm-hmm. So it's an extraordinary number, and it's, it's just absolutely massive. And when we uh, uh, started to peel the onion on building up from uh, different fintech, you know, uh, platform by platform, and uh, doing it, you know, uh, building it up in a very, as I said, a sort of atomic basis, uh, we found that the uh, uh, revenue from fintech against that two point. Against that 12.5 trillion was 245 billion, if I remember right. sure you're not That's right. That's right. So which, which means that fintech revenue as a percentage of total revenue is a whopping great 2%. Right. So, you know, uh, and you, in some ways, the chapter two, chapter eight question is almost resolved when you look at those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2% penetration. Uh, and the study, uh, and uh, Rishi can go into this. I'll let him take it in a second. But, and the, the study projects forward how the growth of fintech will accelerate, uh, vis-a-vis the growth of the incumbents. And, um, you know, that, that four, that two, that 245 billion going forward, we think will go up by 6x, if I'm not right. mistaken, right. To, to 2030. So, that's just, uh, you know, so it's going to go up by an X basically every year, if you like. So, um, I thought these numbers were just uh, astounding and gave me, uh, you know, and I do have a dog in the fight, even though uh, BCG did not, uh, was just a, a reaffirming and corroborating of the fact that we are just at the beginnings of a, an enormous uh, change that's going on in financial services. Right, right.
0: So, so Rishi, that th- those are big numbers. I just want to how how did you come to those numbers? Can you at least give me some methodology? Because we're talking about revenue here, and right. obviously, you know, much of much of financial services are you know, they're public companies with publicly available financials. But fintechs, plenty of private companies there. I'm just curious about the methodology in in, in arriving at those numbers. Yeah, you know, and so
1: as you can imagine, you know, within BCG, working with you know, many of the incumbents, we track pretty closely all the revenue that is available in public domain relative to each one of the in in the markets and by segment, right? So we, we have a really good point of view on just, you know, as proprietary data that we, that we maintain within BCG is those revenue pools and we track them pretty closely based on, you know, available information. In addition to that, we do have you know public data on some of the fintechs that are you know publicly available, and then you know we looked at penetration rates relative to that in all the different segments, and you know we extrapolated different you know leading fintech companies and their impact within you know a certain segment, and we extrapolated that, and made some assumptions around that to come up with the overall penetration numbers by segment, where it stands today. And then how we think that is going to grow relative to a growth uh, model of, you know, where we think the overall segments expected to grow over the next, you know, 10 years. And then, you know, what share of that is going to be for FinTech beer. So that was broadly the methodology that we used.
0: Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So before we, I want to talk about that growth a little bit, but before I do, I want to, I want to go back to sort of where we are today. Um, because you know we, we know people talk about the fintech winter that we are in, and obviously funding um, has dried up for for um, fintechs compared to where it was in certainly in 2021 and earlier. Um, and we also have. You know there's been uh, I think the public companies are clearly you know being being valued every day, it seems at a, at a lower lower um, you know valuation than what they were you know just just even a few months ago. So it's you know, I'd, I'd like to sort of maybe Nigel, you're, you're you're following this and obviously you're still investing in the space. Where has the slowdown in funding been most dramatic you know, when I'm talking about uh, what stage of funding?
2: Yeah, I, I just want to just riff uh, just a second off what Rishi said. You know, we, we broke down, um, uh, into a series of, you know, uh, arithmetic assumptions uh, that, that we list, stared at each of those assumptions for intuitive validity and historic growth rates. And then, we, and then you multiply them through to get to you know, what you think is going to happen. And we could quibble about whether or not you know, fintech is going to grow by uh, you know, 4x or 8x, over the next 7 years but the uh, the momentum and the pace uh, I think is very hard to uh, to contest so mm-hmm. you know there, there was a, the, uh Rishi pointed to this there was a lot of you know a lot of science and a lot of art that went right. into pulling something like this together so uh, it, it was a, a you know a thorough complete and really sensible um, piece of work so but let's go back to um you know because we have in the QED's history uh, we've been investing now for 15 years uh, in uh, specifically in fintech. And when Frank Rotman and I began this journey, there was no such thing as fintech. We were just applying capital one style heuristics to early stage companies. But so we had 13 years where everything basically went up and to the right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it was a, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. I talked about them being the salad days and the glory days, et cetera. But, you know, and then what, um, uh, what happened is that, you know, we had, uh, these last two to three years have been, you know, a, a series of, uh, shocks to the system. Let's just, uh, let's just diagnose them a little bit. So first of all, COVID happened, and then we thought we were going to go into a very deep and awful recession. I mean, three years ago, we were all worried about you know our own health, and there's not many of us that have not had COVID touch our lives or the lives of loved ones in palpable ways. So we were worried about that, but there was enormous government reaction, injection of ca- uh, injection of liquidity into the system, and we, uh, we wrote it out. And what happened at that time, was fintech took a fintech took a step function in uh, in its adoption. Uh, I I point to a company like Remitly where I'm on the board, a public company, and we led the A stage uh, oh so many years ago. Uh, people did not want to queue up at Western Union uh, uh, at a time of COVID, and they realised that the uh, the uh, mobile phone was a wonderful way uh, at a lower price with better uh, uh, customer service um to send money from developed to developing countries. And they did it in droves. And they got over the inertia of moving from uh, uh an analog model to a digital model. And that phenomenon occurred in hundreds of different situations across financial services. So then we saw the growth started so, so then we had uh everybody's beginning to jump on the bandwagon of look, fintech is a real thing. These companies are really exciting. They're growing at dramatic rates. They're creating breakthroughs all over the place. And that led to a whole new uh, cohort of investors that came into the space, often motivated by FOMO, uh, who bid up the valuations dramatically uh, and uh, diligence uh, 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 effectiveness compressed dramatically. And we found that the valuations of these companies uh, went from you know a uh, uh, you know five or six times revenue before all this happened to twenty times revenue, and these were the, the, these were days when uh, p- capital was cheap and plentiful, and uh, we saw an enormous amount of injection of liquidity into the system. And like all things that uh, feel so good for a short period of time, it started to come undone. Uh, Putin invades, supply chain disruption, everybody's worried about uh, inflation, interest rates start to go up, capital becomes more expensive, capital becomes less uh, available, and many of the people who would jump in, jump out just as quickly as they jumped in. And with that, we saw the, the winter emerge. And I think that uh, understanding and chronicling that, and I'm sorry it was so long, chronicling that, uh, that the last three years is really important uh, to understand because these are short-term, relative uh, short-term perturbations. Against the arc, the long term perspective that the study points to, which is inexorably there 's going to be a move to digital inexorably there 's going to be a focus on inclusion of customers that can 't have access today or don 't get access easily and with the and the friction that 's involved in uh, in analog and uh, traditional delivery is going to be whittled away over these next ten ten years anything that 's analog or anything that is um, paper based uh, is going to come under siege through uh, digitalization. And with that, new data sets emerge. With that, uh, customer uh, performance uh, uh, satisfaction improves, efficiency goes up, and lots and lots of opportunities to embed uh, lending payments and insurance so um and we find and maybe i'll i'll, I'll pause here and let Rishi take it from here but i think we find ourselves at a, at a at that that arc that three-year period now looks like it's coming to an end and we now begin to build back up to what was a, a sense of normalcy and equilibrium three years ago and i think there's evidence that we're moving in that direction Right, right. And just to
1: add to that, Peter, maybe just two data points that could be helpful here. You know, very specifically as we, as we analyze, you know, the funding, um, you know, uh, flows in some of these different companies at different stages. Clearly, the late stage companies are uh, hit much greater, with you know, CDT C and D getting impacted by over fifty percent, and you know, C D Z even more than that, closer to seventy seventy five percent. You know, early stage. On the other hand continues to stay resilient um you know as long as you have good unit economics have a good kind of product fit story you know i think there's still value to be had in in that space um in addition to that just one other thing that was interesting as as uh, we were looking at some of the valuations come down and also kind of funding um you know being much more tighter you know we still see saw revenue expansion uh, within the fintech, which was mm-hmm. really interesting to say, like yeah, while well, you know we may be coming down, you know some view of uh, you know extra exuberance, but the core fundamentals where you know these companies were being uh, you know focused, you know there was still uptake and you know revenue growth in that, so that that gives a gave us a lot more confidence.
2: Right, right, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the companies that uh, had those very high revenue multiples were positioning themselves. As tech companies, uh, you heard Rishi talk about how he, his uh, software background says he leads with tech. I think a uh, uh, QED we tend to lead much more with fin than with tech. But they were uh, the uh, uh, particularly the ones that went uh, went public. They were positioned as tech companies when they were really balance sheet companies. Right, and I think that led to led to a substantial inflation in the underlying valuation uh, multiple. But the uh, you know, we had five companies go public in twenty one at. At QED, we had SoFi, we had Avid Exchange, we had Flywire, we had Nubank, and we had Remitly. Now, uh, if you look at them en masse, they've all come back substantially from their lows, uh, you know, at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Nubank uh, is trading, as we speak today, nearly $7. It it came out at $9, um, a year and a half ago at the IPO. It, they've beaten their numbers handily and they dropped down to three and a half. So they've doubled. Remitly's at 18 now. It was low. It was in the sixes, uh, last year. So, Profitable growth companies, and I underscore profit. And I think the market is rewarding profitability now substantially over growth, particularly in the later stages. Uh, right. That uh, the market is beginning to respond to that.
0: Right. So I want to go back. I want to talk about the growth of the industry globally. Um, you know, you, you talked about 245 billion dollars, and again, that's revenue. Um, actual revenue today, and you, you, you said it's going to grow 6x, which when you do the math is around 1.5 trillion, which is you know, a pretty substantial substantial number. Um, maybe, uh, Rishi, do, do you want to just give us a sense of how this growth is going to be distributed globally? Because there's obviously some, some geographies that are much more advanced than others, and I imagine the, the growth will not be even.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Peter. And you know, I think that there is a great story to tell. You know, well, I think North America has been leading the charge to date, and I think will continue to be a much is going to continue to be a major player in the growth of overall fintech. But we think APAC is what you know, including you know the whole breadth of APAC is going to take. The lead uh, over this time period, over the 20 um, up to 2030, so we expect APAC revenues to grow to about 600 billion, which is going to be eight and a half x, 8.5 x, you know, where they are today. Notwithstanding, I think you know, starting from a higher base, North America is going to continue to grow, and you know, will be almost a half a trillion dollar industry by 2013 with a growth of four x in there, um, you know. Uh, Geographies like LATAM and uh, Middle East and Africa are also going to be, um, you know, promising in terms of their growth, though for a much lower base uh, as they are today. But, you know, we see as access requirements continue to grow, especially if you're thinking some of the uh, underdeveloped economies in Africa, et cetera, you know, access is going to be a key thing. And I think fintechs are going to play a key role in helping drive in financial inclusion and uh, general access overall.
0: Right. So then, what about within verticals? Um, obviously, payments and lending are the are the two largest verticals today. Um, uh, where is the growth going to come from? And, and are those verticals just going to continue to dominate?
2: Go ahead, we should Give it a give it a shot.
1: Yeah, listen. I think you know payments has been the headline story so far in the fintech space, right? And payments has been leading the way so far. Almost forty percent of all revenue, all fintech revenue today, is payments based, and you know these are payment solutions. But we see this shift over the next ten years. Not to say payments will not continue to be a significant portion, but I think there is going to be a shift. Towards, you know, what we're calling B2B to X and B2B, uh, kind of focused, uh, companies that are, you know, going to be core infrastructure, you know, as enabling companies to, um, you know, what we are going to call B2B companies that are infrastructure related and other companies of as such that are going to really help build the fabric of the financial systems globally and help drive that. But in addition to that, we think companies that are going to serve what we are calling B to small B, which are kind of small businesses, SMEs that dominate the globe, um, you know, they are quite starved for being served by, you know, some of the incumbents today and they are served quite poorly. And I think this is a place where we think fintechs are going to step in, especially as you think about the greatest needs around credit um, and lending are going to be big areas of focus for, you know, the small business um uh, small businesses around the globe that dominate the economies of many, many, many uh, Ica- countries, and I think you know, especially even in the emerging markets, um, you know, in in Asia or even in Africa and others, you know, these are the small businesses that are really going to drive the revolution, and I think fintechs are going to be core to that equation.
2: Right. right. Uh, I, I can I j- shoutingly agree here that, um, we're g- the uh, opportunities for, fin- uh, uh, for, for uh, breakthrough companies are, I think, across the full vista of, uh, lending and payments and wealth management and, uh, deposits and prop tech. And as we start to look into, uh a uh, uh, crypto and the blockchain i think that all of them have different uh, shapes and interest levels depending on certain geographies for example uh you know in uh, in in india with uh, upi it's very hard to make money on traditional payments uh, in the us because of Durban, uh we have a whole series of neobanks that can make money purely with um a uh, a d- uh, deposit based um debit card um so i think that we there, there are opportunities across the board uh, the second theme is that inclusion And giving access, uh, particularly on the consumer front, but also with SMBs, as Rishi said, is enormous. Um, You know, even in the U.S., um, you know, it's very hard for half of America with people with a FICO score of under 650 to access credit. Uh, and certainly the banks uh, um uh, by and large do not serve that population and if anything in the last uh, 6 to 9 months have actually pulled back from serving that population but that phenomenon is massively amplified as you go into new geographies as you go into brazil we see nubank uh, as you go into india uh, we we have one card in jupiter um you know as we go into indonesia which is still you know massively open fields running and the fourth largest population in the world. So uh, the embracing financial inclusion with debit and credit and then into wealth management, I think it's just has enormous potential. The last thing I'll say is that so much of what became fintech, uh, Peter was driven by, was driven on the back of mobile technology. Mm-hmm. and the move to digitalization through mobile. We're going to see there's a series of uh, of, uh, of meta trends in terms of technology that will fire up the next generations of uh, fintech plays across the verticals. You know, We have a lot of talk about generative AI now. You know, the opportunity, we're just starting to get our head around how massive that can be. You know, uh, API-based uh, c- connectivity, particularly op- and open banking, particularly in Europe there, but a lot of entities attempting to become the super app model uh distributed ledger and the blockchain you know a lot of promise there uh, uh, and uh, you know that's starting to take shape over the next 6 or 7 years um quantum computing and the cloud dropping expenses and then and then lastly embedded finance where anything anything that's uh, logistical that is paper based and analog becomes digitalized and then with that the opportunity uh to be able to uh, embed lending and payments and insurance i think we're just scraping the surface there um, and I think that just it's it's uh, it's a, lo- a lot of excitement in the QED ranks about all these opportunities.
0: Right, right. So I, I want to dig into profits for a minute because you mentioned it, Nigel. There's more of a focus on profitability now than than there has been in the past, and I, I'm always struck when I you, know, you look at the earnings reports that come out and you look at. The banks and they, they're making astounding profits, particularly you know, recently. And whereas the fintechs still seem to struggle. Um, you know, they're doing better than I think they have, but a lot of the publicly traded fintechs still, are, are, are losing money. Where do you think, or, well, um, I'm just really curious to get your perspective on. When is fintech going to catch up? Because you look financial services. You mentioned the profit. The, the profit. Uh, it's a highly profitable industry, but it's really the traditional uh, incumbents that are making most of that profit. When's that going to change? When? How is that going to change?
1: Maybe I can take a quick comment, and maybe Nigel. You know, you you definitely have a great perspective on this. I mean, Peter, as you know, within financial services, you know, the greatest profit pools lie in lending. Mm-hmm. And that, that business is a very different beast compared to, you know, some of the other more tech focused uh, businesses, you know, using your balance sheet, uh, you know, getting the low cost of capital to be able to make those, uh, make lending products effective and in the way that you are. Focusing and having discipline in those lending practices that you have, uh, perhaps, you know, even acquiring, you know, banking licenses, as you know, which have become really, really difficult globally. Um, you know, that really has start to create some kind of barriers for fintechs to enter the space. And then, you know, add to that any compliance overheads, regulatory oversight that you have to consider as you go into those kind of models, you know, becomes increasingly difficult uh, for fintechs to navigate. And so I think. But, you know, that is where that's the challenge and that's where the pot of gold is as um, the neobanks, et cetera, look to expand their offering, move into more profitable um, places where they can create offers. Uh, in a way, they're going to have to consider, you know, looking at lending seriously because that is where, you know, the banks really make their money.
2: Mm-hmm. Nigel? Uh- Uh, Yeah. uh, So much to unpack in in that question. Uh, Well, first of all, um, I agree that the pots of gold, the economic rents tend to be bigger in lending than any of the other categories. It's true. And there is a structural collision between venture capital and, uh, and lending. Venture capital is by its very nature impatient and lending requires enormous patience. And I think what we, you know, and any, any fool can lend money, as I, as I often say. And the challenge is getting people to pay you back. And, uh, you that the, uh, we, we see a number of entities have yet to prove that they can, their unit economics make sense. If your unit economics don't make sense, you can't build a PL that, that makes sense. So what we're seeing, I think, in the public markets, back to your question about when will, um, fintechs become uh you know major profit centers is that some of them are not going to ever make money and some of them their business models don't make sense and what we're seeing is the public markets figuring that out now i hit on a couple of companies earlier uh, that are are profitable and are growing um, because they because their fundamental business models were incredibly sound and durable so that so in a Darwinistic world, uh, uh, a lot of fintechs aren't going to make it because they didn't choose the right place to enter. They didn't have a business model that worked. Their overhead costs were too high. They didn't understand how to, uh, how to, what skills they needed, and they will disappear. But that means that the ones that do win are going to be winning in the big profit pools where they have comparative advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of, of the startups and, and Darwinism. Um, Every one of our portfolio companies is now really incredibly focused on a pathway to profitability because they recognize that the market, the funding market is, you know, is uh, is uh, uh, precious perhaps. It's austere. It's hard to get capital. And if you do, um, it's often evaluations that were very, very different to what they were 18 months ago. People have rationalized their cost structures massively and uh, uh, extended their runway. And, and uh, but, but the focus on EBITDA is absolutely right. And we will see, um, the, the, the EBITDA will not fully realize until we see growth slow mm-hmm. in the fintech because marketing costs money and I flush my marketing expense immediately through my P&L, which means that my earnings are always going to be low relative to growth. And this is this conundrum that we've chatted about, I, uh, profit versus growth. But one, until the growth rate's slow, we're not gonna see the the profit gushes that you would imagine. Um, And uh, I would point to the fact that if we look at the banks, even though they're making loads of money, Peter, they're not growing. I mean, I don't know what the average growth rate would be of of banks uh, in the US, but I would imagine it's probably in the middle single digit range if it's that. Um, And probably uh, on a normalized inflation adjusted basis, they're probably losing revenue um, on a normalized basis. So fintechs are where the growth is, and until the growth slows, um, for a certain fintechs, with the profitability will not gush. And, of course, then there'll be uh, other generations and cohorts of other fintechs that will be, you know, driving uh, revenues and breakthroughs after the first generation. Example, you know, we see Nubank, of course, a juggernaut, uh, but we're seeing, you know, uh, uh, sons of and daughters of Nubank emerging in other geographies um, who mm-hmm. are going to go through the same cycle. Right, right.
0: Okay, so we've we've sort of talked a lot about the the potential growth, but I want to just focus on on the risks and the challenges that uh, the industry is going to face to that needs to be overcome or needs to be dealt with in order to achieve this growth. So maybe Richie, you could just start with you and talk about what are what are the biggest risks for the fintech space to achieve the growth we're talking about? Yeah,
1: and you know we we highlight a couple in, in the report there. Um, Peter, as you think about, you know, what is the actual potential that is Uh, achievable versus, you know, what can be achieved in practicality. And, you know, what I would say is, you know, getting from to achieve the potential, you'll have to address some of these key risks that we, we clearly see in the market. So, you know, we're starting with the, you know, easiest way. One is, you know, as you think about regulatory oversight for most, you know, this growth has been, you know, fintechs have been left alone by a lot of the regulators, you know, while depending on the geography, you know, there's been in some case, reactive to, you know, what's happening in the market versus being proactive in there. So, you know, I think having a real, um, you know, call out to regulators to, you know, to consider this industry to create a level playing field, you know, to take a much more proactive stance. And there are geographies where that's happened. If you look at Brazil, as Nigel suggested, or India and others where, you know, the, the regulators have taken a pretty active role. Again, they can always do more, but have done so more than other perhaps developed um, economies where they are creating public digital goods, uh, infrastructure that is allowing for you know, some of these fintechs to thrive. You know, is a real uh, good shining light where you know where many others can take inspiration from that. So you know, the the role of the regulator is going to be interesting. But the risk, of course, is of regulatory out, uh, overreach, mm-hmm. right? As you think about knee-jerk reactions around you know things that happen with SVP and other uh, situations, right? If they tend to clamp down more in terms of the oversights that are going to be needed, you know, they can in in some way you know, impact overall innovation and, you know, what fintechs can draw. So, you know, we are going to be looking out for that in terms of, you know, just for proactivity of the regulators in the space and, you know, looking at how uh, they may, you know, perhaps stifle innovation in in that regard. Uh, You know, reputation continues to be a big thing in in the space, like brand and reputation, as you think about, you know, some of the recent crypto, uh blowouts that we've seen you know that that has an overhang on the overall industry and you know whether you know there's there's enough trust in the industry if you will in terms of people's money and you know protection and all of that, and, and you know how that's gonna play out so you know that there is a cloud that you know continues to Stay uh, with the industry in that regard, and you know we'll have to dri- deal with some of these reputational things. You know, it's you know we always will see one-off things in in the market, but you know in some way we have to make sure we dimensionalize those in terms of the practices in that specific context versus a overarching theme that is you know industry wide, and so you know that's going to be an important thing too. Um, you know, the other element is around the role of big tech is <laughs> going to be interesting and, you know, see how they are going to continue to evolve their offers and services, um, you know, as they look to leverage their scale, um, you know, in this regard and how they create uh infrastructure that perhaps creates, you know, greater opportunity for tech companies versus, you know, fintechs and the role that they play is another one that's going to be interesting for us. And then, you know, lastly, it's. You know, just geopolitical tension and overall macro environment is going to, you know, continue to play a role. And I, you know, that's not a fintech specific thing, but I think that will continue to create a, you know, uh, headwind for us overall. But, you know, we believe strongly there are going to be local champions that are going to emerge of the out of this, even, even within a broader, uh, dense geopolitical environment, you know, we will see local champions emerge that are going to, you know, be impactful in the local markets.
0: Right, right, great. Okay, so I want to close um, with uh, sort of a, hear from each of you about what you find most exciting now because you've done all this research now, the report's out, um, it's it's fat, really optimistic for fintech and I think a, a, a breath of fresh air for, for the industry. But maybe, Nigel, I'll start with you and just talk about what, what are you personally most excited about when it comes to the future of fintech today?
2: Uh, look, I, at, the, at the macro level, I'm really excited about how it can make a palpable the difference in the lives of hundreds of or billions of people in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking away the friction, taking away the stress, uh, empowering Uh, consumers to have ownership and smbs of their own data making uh, decisions that are not based on inertia or based on uh, lack of confidence and with that be able to manage their own finances better uh, with less friction uh, and uh, and taking away the inefficiencies in the market that candidly the incumbents Have been able to take advantage of for Eons, and I think that at the global level, that's what I'm really. uh, That's the most exciting thing. I think financial inclusion is a huge deal. If you go to Indonesia, you go to Nigeria, you go to Kenya. I mean, uh, and even in the U.S. with the the, the people who are are not terribly well off, uh, you know, the opportunities are massive in putting really high-quality products in their hands. And when you do that, you get wonderful net promoter scores, and with that, you can actually uh, create huge value in their lives. And you know, if I go back to my Capital One days, it was really wonderful to, uh, with Capital One, who helped democratize access to credit cards. You know, to to, to wrestle that power, that hegemony that the large incumbents um who have not had to an- innovate and candidly are still struggling to innovate it's very difficult so i think at the global stage that, that level that's what i'm ex- most excited about what in particular verticals i think that i'm excited about all of them in their own way they all have major o- opportunities and 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 in, in, in a sense as a as an a now an investor it's not about uh, this one is uh, is where all the opportunity is. It's how do you horse race an idea across one vertical and one geography against other ones at the margin. But embedded finance, I think, is absolutely uh, uh, critical. Um, lending is really uh, very important. And if I just go back to what Rishi said, you know, where the where the risks are. Uh, it's around uh, uh, around access to debt financing, particularly as a fintech, because you don't have access to banking windows and low-cost durable deposits. And just a shout-out on the regulatory front is we see so many now uh, you, uh, regulators around the world leaning in. To fintech and being progressive and saying this is valuable, it creates a multiplier effect. Um, it is uh, it promotes conclusion. It squeezes out the black economy, and I think the the call for the, uh, the U.S. and the uh, developed country regulators is: look, uh, let's stop. Let's not focus so much on regulating last year's problems. Let's create uh, you know uh, the opportunities to uh, create uh, environments where you can promote and support fintech because you know it makes our world a better place. Mm-hmm.
0: Rashid,
1: last word. Uh firstly ditto everything <laughs> Nigel said. You know, you said it really well, Nigel. Thank but just know. from my lens, right, I I I think just firstly, you know, the the unevenness of you know the overall evolution of fintech while you know it's been in the US and you know other parts of the world, but just to see how that is starting to spread, just you know, globally, and you know, in in areas like you know, Middle East and Africa, taking the lead, and you know, other places where it's creating that inclusion. Really, you know, it really warms my heart to see, you know, the the force that it can be and the force of good that it can be. And to me, that is you know, hugely, hugely exciting. But also. You know, I think it's a, it's a real call to local incumbents, right? Financial services companies and others that are, have influence in those markets. Like, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to really embrace and partner. And in some cases, even acquire some of these innovative companies and really see how you can, you know, do the math of, you know, one plus one is three and really drive that, you know, next level of acceleration within these markets and, you know, bring new innovative uh, you know, uh, offerings to market together, as against to trying to think of this as purely as you know fintechs as being disruptors. But the idea of partnership and collaboration, you know, in the ecosystem and the importance of these ecosystems are so important to me. You know, just that opportunity in itself, you know, gives me a lot of confidence and excitement around the future of this industry. And you know, I, I'm thrilled to be part of it, and I'm excited to see the future.
0: All right, well, here, here, it's, uh, you know, you guys, uh, Rishi, Nigel, thank you so much. You've done a tremendous service, I think, to, uh, to the fintech industry. And this is a, a seminal report that will uh, you know, will really, I think people be referring to again and again over the years. So thank you um, so much for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you. Peace uh, well, Thank nice you, Rishi. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay,
0: see ya. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.